0: Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them.
1: Hawaii Volcanoes National Park is such a unique destination in the national park system. Located on the Big Island, it's surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. It has rainforests, and it boasts two active volcanoes in Mauna Loa and Kilauea. This is Kurt Repinchek, your host at the National Parks Traveler. A visit to Hawaii volcanoes comes with a number of options. Do you simply hope to catch an eruption of Kilauea and head somewhere else in Hawaii? Do you explore the backcountry with its more than 160 miles of trails? Or do you soak up the Hawaiian culture? Hopefully, you'll do all of that and more, because the park is so remarkable and offers so much. But it also can be a dangerous place. While the volcanoes are not explosive like Mount St. Helens was back in 1980, Visitors still can get close to Kilauea's crater and, if they ignore safety guidance, quickly find themselves in trouble or worse. To get a better understanding of Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, we're joined today by Ranger Nainoa Kai'ana Aina, a law enforcement ranger who grew up near the park, worked in its backcountry, and now is closely involved with search and rescue activities and other tasks to keep visitors safe and getting the most out of their vacation. We'll be back in a minute
0: with Nainoa. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at VRPFoundation.org. Smokey's Life, full of stunning photography and thought provoking reads. Smokey's Life Journal is a biannual magazine produced by Smoky's Life, formerly the Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokieslife.org. Welcome to The
1: Traveler, Nanoa. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. It really is. Um, it's not too often we get to travel to Hawaii. I've been there once, um, and I'd love to go back. My my son and his wife loved it so much they moved there. They're probably in your backyard uh, uh, just outside of Hilo. But um, Hawaii Volcanoes is one of the most topographically, geologically, and meteorologically unique parks in the system. When someone asks you what the park is like, what do you tell them? Oh, it's really
2: kind of dependent on, on what they want to see. I uh, like to say we offer a little bit of everything from the coastline to the top of the mountain, rainforest and lava. Um, really, you know, it's a, a visitor's choice of, of what they want to get
1: into. It really is. And it, it's not something you can, you can I would say, tackle in one week I mean I look at um, Olympic National Park and I I say that's three parks in one because you've got the coastal area you've got the rainforest and you've got the the high alpine area even with with glaciers Um, you don't have any glaciers at Hawaii volcanoes that I know of but you do have incredibly diverse topography there and with it comes incredibly diverse ecosystems
2: yeah definitely It's kind of varying day-to-day being the weather, uh, but most importantly, the volcano. Uh, Volcano changes things all the time. Uh, Roads and infrastructure, uh, things that you can visit, uh, even just the various eruptions and and what the viewing is like will change uh, during each eruption.
1: Really, I mean, obviously we can expect change when you have an eruption, you've got lava flows going out, but you say it changes a lot more than beyond what we see on a, a daily basis?
2: Yeah, so currently we're in this
1: cycle where we're having these
2: repeated summit eruptions. And and based on my understanding, it's something that hasn't happened in about 100 years. Um, So our recent visitation, right, the things that are going on the last year or so are are relatively new, new to us, new to all the employees, new to the visitors. um, And we'll see how long that lasts. We are a few months since the last eruption. um, We had a few close calls here. In the last month or so kind of getting to a point where we're expecting it um, just don't know where or when uh, what it's gonna look like when it does
1: yeah no I get the um, the alerts from the Hawaii Volcano Observatory and uh, there was one a week or ten days ago about all the the earthquakes that they were feeling and I I told my son it's it sounds like you're getting ready for an eruption. And it's really mercurical, I guess. I mean, there's no really forecasting what's going to happen between either Kilauea or Mauna Loa, which for the first time in quite a few times erupted um, last year.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, um, I think uh, the geologists would, would let you know that it's probably the one of the most studied volcanoes in the world. Uh, we have a lot of equipment um, and monitors on the volcano to give us that advance notice as best as they can. Um, but in my experience, it's it's very short. Um, and sometimes it can be off um, from the predictions. Um, What I've learned in in this career, in this job, in this park, is really just to be flexible, um, prepare as much as you can, um, but get ready to pivot as soon as the volcano gives you something different.
1: Yeah, yeah. How long have you been at the park?
2: I started as an intern here with the Student Conservation Association in 2007. Um, I'm from Kona, which is on the other side of the island here. Um, but I've been in law enforcement. Be uh, fourteen years in, in April. Um, worked at a couple other parks across the country, um, but this is home for me. And that was the goal. So yeah, yeah. What other parks have you worked at? Uh, Crater Lake National Park, fighting engine on uh, a fire engine out of there doing wildland fire, um, and then coming home was law enforcement, and then just doing details across the country for different parks. Um, still involved heavily in wildland fire. Uh, last assignment was in uh, Big Cypress in Florida, uh, which is a little bit different than it was here
1: little bit, little bit. Bigger snakes. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, you know, you mentioned you've got, you know, two active volcanoes. Mauna Loa is the largest volcano on earth, I believe. And, and last year we had the really unique, I don't know if we want to call it an opportunity, but a unique situation where both of them were erupting at the same time. Is that something, um, how unusual is that?
2: Oh, it's incredibly unusual. Born and raised on the island this is my first Mauna Loa eruption. Uh, Kilauea is situated in a point where there are not a, not a lot of infrastructure um, downhill, um, but everybody lives downhill of Mauna Loa. Um, and so, we got the call in the middle of the night that uh, it was erupting, and we had kept our eyes on it for, I want to say about five years um, until it actually opened up and erupted, and depending on what side of the mountain it went down, what side of the rift zone, would really impact what our response was going to be. Um, fortunately, it sounds like you were following along. It actually went down to an unpopulated area of the island and stopped right before it hit one of our our major uh, uh, roads that go through the middle of the island. So,
1: Right, right. So let, let's back up a minute. You, you grew up on the big island, and you said this was the first time Mauna Loa had erupted in your lifetime? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact
2: years. I believe the last eruption was 1984. I was born after that. Um, <laughs> Lucky you <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it was the first one that that, uh, that I, I observed um, It was definitely one of those experiences that I didn't want to miss so I took my family up early in the morning to go see it um, And it's really spectacular to see a, a uh, volcano of that size um, on the eruption there and, and that's from somebody that sees a lot of eruptions and spent a lot of time around lava It was really special
1: Yeah, no, I'm sure um, And the fact that it's a, it's a shield volcano, correct?
2: Sure, yes.
1: And, and so the eruptions aren't quite as cataclysmic as, as say, Vesuvius. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we are situated in the middle of
2: the Pacific plate, and we have that hot spot. And as the plate moves, the volcanoes um, travel, and we have this kind of eruption that layers upon itself to build the islands, to build their volcanoes, versus some of the more explosive volcanoes around the edges of the plate, like the, the Cascades. Um, the northwest, where that subduction events tends to be a little bit more explosive.
1: Right, right. So I'm wondering, you know, you've got you've got Mauna Loa towering over the entire island, and then you know Kilauea down below. Can you craft emergency plans for eruptions because you don't necessarily know where the eruption is going to go, right?
2: Yeah, that's probably one of the most difficult things that I deal with here in the park is how do you prepare for the unknown? Just a mitigation plan for lava is one aspect, uh, but how do you fund that? How do you hire? How do you get the personnel to support that um, when the eruption could be 30 years long like it was in Pu'o from 1983 to 2018? Um, to where we're having it now, where the eruptions are a month, three weeks, two weeks, um, could just be a day. Finding the support and the coordination to do that is, is very challenging.
1: I bet. And I mean, that's just from the infrastructure standpoint. But, you know, Mauna Loa, um, it's the quote unquote backcountry of the park or, or a portion of the backcountry of the park. There's a trail that goes up to the summit. There's cabins people can stay at. You've got to worry about where the visitors are. And that must be tough to track. I mean, you've got a permit system if, if people use it, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, but even with the permit system, I mean, if you've got you know, people out there in the backcountry and then all of a sudden an eruption, do you, do you get warning in advance in enough time to be able to get visitors out of the backcountry? Or is it more of a challenge? So I treat it
2: like any other hazard. Um, volcano is, is flashy and it's dangerous. Um, and we try to predict it as best we can. Um, In some instances, we get a heads up from the United States Geological Survey that, hey, we're keeping an eye on this potential for eruption, and we may, depending on what we see, close down certain sections of the backcountry to limit the visitation to really help our response and to be prepared ahead of time. Um, But like all the other things that you can run into the backcountry, um, here we deal with tsunamis. uh, Coming from other parts of the Pacific, we deal with wildland fires and earthquakes and all of these kind of unpredictable events. You try to build your program in such a way that allows you to respond and pivot to whatever the given situation is. A volcanic eruption, at least in this park, is just another aspect of that.
1: This is Kurt Rabinchek. We're talking today with uh, Ranger Nainoa Keana'ana from Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
0: Embrace the perks of an Interior Federal membership where our benefits can save you up to $2,800 a year. Take advantage of discounts on insurance like auto, home, and AD&D. Shop for travel deals. Get a discount on password security and identity theft protection too. Discover all Interior Federal has to offer. Learn more and apply at interiorfcu.org, federally insured by NCUA. Listener and reader support make the National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation at nationalparkstraveler.org.
1: Okay, we're back with, uh... I know I'm not going to try and butcher your last name, Ranger. I appreciate uh, your understanding there. Um, most people probably think of Hawaii as a tropical paradise, and yet you can have that wintry weather on top of volcanic eruptions, along with hurricanes, along with tsunamis. What's it like watching out for park visitors in a park as big and diverse as Hawaii volcanoes?
2: It definitely has its challenges. Uh, in my sarcasm, I have a life ring to throw into the ocean. I have snowshoes. I have ropes to rescue people out of craters. Um, in my locker, I have my wildland fire gear, my aviation things. Just kind of have to be ready for everything. We're so diverse that it's hard to specialize in any one thing. Uh, I like to say we we specialize in, in rescues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing that you specialize in it, but if you have that many that you have to... Uh... Um, be a specialist. How do people get in trouble at Hawaii Volcanoes?
2: Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really, in my opinion, comes down to being prepared, um, understanding what you're getting into, um, something that not everybody puts the time and effort into. Um, the vast majority of our visitors um, come from off-island, um, want to see the lava, want to do a few hikes and leave, um, even though it seems maybe innocuous, it'd be a nice day. Um, The weather can change. The terrain is uneven. If you're not paying attention, um, you might find yourself in trouble.
1: Yeah. Do you find that visitors are, I I don't know what the, the word is it for, but they entitled perhaps, and that, well, I don't have to pay attention to that. That line when we're up, up on the summit looking at an eruption at Kilauea, we don't, have, we, we don't have to worry about going past that rope line that says don't go past it or, or down on the coast. Um, I saw some people going out of bounds to get that, that selfie and whatnot. Are we seeing more of that these days, do you know? I mean, everybody wants to, I, I call it Count coup. You know, we've been to Hawaii volcanoes. Here's a picture of me with the eruption of Kilauea. I'm going to move on to another park.
2: I would definitely say that some visitors can fall under that title. Um, As I mature uh, as a ranger, um, I see that that is not the most of the visitors don't don't follow those things. Most of the visitors will follow our rules and follow the rope lines. Um, But when you add something in like lava, it's this kind of once in a lifetime experience that people want. Right. And they're willing to maybe push the boundaries, violate some of the rules to get that. I think you'll see that in a lot of national parks where here's this opportunity, what are the outcomes that people do that, that uh, risk versus gain analysis in their minds. We do it constantly all day long. When you're faced with this sign and maybe nobody is around, you might take that risk. Um, a lot of times that people will get away with it, um, mm-hmm. but sometimes not so much. Um, they get into trouble, they need a rescue, um, whether it be in violation of the law and dealing with our law enforcement program um, or um, needing to be saved with our search and rescue rangers.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I guess when you stop and think about it, I mean, you've got people at Yellowstone National Park who, who get too close to thermal features and some of them die. Um, you get people at Grand Canyon who think they can, you know, go beyond the, the, the rope line to get that picture of the canyon and all of a sudden they're falling into the canyon. Um, so I guess it's just something that's not, not terribly unusual, but again, years is the only park I believe that has an active volcano in it that, uh, erupts from time to time and makes a, a beautiful picture.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and right now where, where it's erupting at the summit, we get a lot of people that will move close to the edge. Um, and it's probably one of the scariest things that I do as a ranger, um, is to get there and ask people to move back. We have young kids and and crowds, and and people really want to take that picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cell phones and and devices um, have become more prevalent, right? Um, And distractions in in these areas where you really need to be heads up. Uh, We've implemented some measures here in the park by creating some rope uh, boundaries and and posting cable barricades along the edges, um, which isn't really something um, a lot of national parks do. Um, but with that with that draw, with the lava there in the crater, um, it really pulls people really close. Our, our cliff edges are unstable. You just mix it all together. It's just a recipe for people to fall off.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember back in 2018 when Kilauea erupted for months on end, there were some situations where some people thought that they needed to get closer to get some pictures and they ran into some problems. Mauna Loa is a bigger volcano. It's much more difficult to access where the volcanic activity is in terms of lava flows. Still, did you run into any problems with visitors trying to you know, go up the trail so they could get a picture of the Mauna Loa eruption? No, fortunately, the, the bulk of the activity, the flow front was actually outside of the park on
2: its way down where the, um, the county had jurisdiction um, and allowed access uh, on different areas. And I know uh, they had issues with people violating their closures. Every eruption that we have, it is a constant issue that we address are people violating the closures. We try to staff it and sign it and educate in such a way that expresses the situation they may be putting themselves in. Um, But ultimately, it's up to the visitors to make that decision and we'll use what accountability tools we have to try to enforce some of these things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is that the biggest problem you have with visitors? Is getting into trouble trying to watch an eruption, or are there other areas of the park where they also find themselves in trouble for some reason or another? I would say it's it's probably one of our most frequent um, violations
2: that we experience during an eruption. Are people violating closures, going beyond barricades to to get that best picture? Um, if you had to ask me what the most dangerous thing would be here in the park, it's it's going to be driving. It's always driving. It's the highest risk thing we do. Um, You have people, especially visitors, right? They're driving vehicles they're not familiar with, on roads they're not familiar with, and maybe not paying as close attention as they should be to the roads. Um, And as my time as a first responder, I've responded to more car accidents uh, with drastic outcomes than anything else.
1: Wow. Wow. What's your favorite corner of the park? Ooh,
2: that's a tough question. Um, My first job uh, as, as an intern, I was a backcountry intern. Um, I hiked and I camped all summer long. I contacted people. Um, and then my first job before doing law enforcement and wildland fire was a backcountry ranger here. Uh, our backcountry is incredible. Uh, 160 miles of trails from 26 miles of coastline, actually, which is larger now, um, all the way up to the top of the mountain. Um, and you can actually touch the water. Um, and hike all the way up to 13,695 feet, all within the park, uh, which is more elevation change uh, from base camp to the top of Everest, uh, which I like to tell people. So, Wow. Uh, you have to ask me my favorite place. It's, it's the backcountry. Which part? All of it. Really, is hard to choose. Um, I named my daughter after a rain uh, in the rainforest. Uh, her name is uh Kanoili, who is Ikea Laula. Uh, which is the sound of the noy rain, which is a mist rain uh, that gathers on the lehua blossoms on the ohia trees out here. Um, and it's that sound of that rain at first light. And it just, it's motivated from from camping out in the rainforest. And when you wake up in the morning, you hear that sound of the condensation. and sounds like rain, uh, but huh. it's that mist coming to
1: the trees. Um, and it's important to me. And uh, I love it. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty cool what five tips would you give visitors to Hawaii volcanoes? And it can be safety tips or it can be, you know, you've got to see this, you got to see that. What would you say?
2: Uh, be prepared uh, by checking on the current conditions of the volcano and the weather. Uh, be flexible for sure. Um, like a lot of parks we're running into a lot of infrastructure issues, namely space parking for vehicles. Um, if you could come up with a backup plan to do something that maybe. The thing that you wanted to see was full at the time, you'll have a much better trip. Um, I would advise people to slow down. Um, I think the vast majority of our visitors are what we call three to four hour visitors that hit our top spots and leave the park. But if you can give yourself a full day to get out of the vehicle to go for a nice walk, um, get off and away from people, um, you'll really see I think, the beauty of this place. Uh, what was that? Three? Uh, four uh, the <laughs> bring the right gear. Um, The weather changes here all the time. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but the number one thing we sell in the gift shop where the Hawaii Pacific Park Association sells are sweatshirts um, because we're at 4,000 feet and it's pretty chilly
1: up here. Got nothing on me. I'm at 6,500 feet. (laughs) (laughs) I have two feet of snow in my backyard.
2: (laughs) Oh, great. I don't want to... Oh, it's raining today. (laughs) Maybe the last piece of advice would be to explore the less visited areas. In my opinion, they are just as beautiful, if not more so, than the things that attract the most people. And to have that opportunity for solitude was really something that resonated with me as an intern and got me to pursue a career in the National Park Service.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned that a lot of your visitors are the the three- to four-hour visitors. That's incredible. I mean, we we were there for a week, and I felt we barely scratched the surface.
2: Yeah, in my opinion, I think it has to do with, with Hawaii, right? We're we're traveling to Hawaii. We've got an agenda. We may have a week to get things done. We want to see this. We want to go snorkeling. We want to go surfing. We have a day to do the national park. A lot of our hotels are, you know, a two and a half hour drive away. And so just timing that out. um, It's funny because you can see uh, when everybody shows up from that side of the island during the day and when they get ready to leave. And that's the bulk of our visitation. Um, we cater to that a lot as a park, um, knowing that, um, the vast majority of our visitors are meeting that window with our education, with our signages, with the way we communicate, um, it's, this is how much time you have and this is what you should do. Um, but really, I think like you alluded to in the beginning of this is, is the park is so much more than can be done in three to four hours. Um, you'll, you'll hit maybe the top three that we have, um, but you maybe, in my opinion, not have the full amount of time to enjoy it. And you're missing a lot of the other unique things that we've got going on here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we hiked the Kilauea Iki Trail. We went through the Thurston Tubes. Um, sorry for not pronouncing the native names, but I'm tongue-tied. Um, Nahuku. Nahuku, that's right. We went down to the, the Chain of Craters Road. Um, we did a little hiking at Mauna Loa, not as much as we wanted to. We went to Bird Park. And again, I just felt that, you know even though we were there for a week we, we were kind of rushing through things and uh i told my wife the next time we go back there you know maybe two weeks and just you know hang out with my son and his wife and and get into some of the the in-depth out of the the way sites in the park that you were referring to because there there is so much to take in both from the natural resources to the cultural resources
2: i think that could be said by for a lot of the parks across the country um, growing up here on the island, the National Park was kind of always shrouded in a little veil of mystery, um, even being from the island, um, and, and we came here quite a lot growing up. Um, and then working here, you had to, you know, look behind the curtains and and see a lot of the things. As a backcountry ranger, I spent a lot of time wandering. Some of the best summers that I've had, uh, best time just kind of going off trail. Hey, that looks like a unique site. Um, Google Earth, um, you know, pointing me in the right direction. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that, but
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you could um, say it.
2: Just
1: don't share your map. <laughs> I said, "Hey, that looks
2: that looks interesting." You know, I want to go see. Um, then peeling back and the history, there are still things now that that surprise me. Uh, whether it's the the wildlife, um, some of the natural features. Um, right now, I've been kind of digging more into the history of the park how it was founded, um, what kind of resources that we have. And it's, it's interesting. Um, and I'm still learning. And when I finish my career at some
1: point, there'll still be a lot more to explore. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. From my point of view, it's hard to envision Hawaii volcanoes as a park with a lot of backcountry. but you know, I've got a friend who says, Oh yeah, yeah. We used to backpack all the time out there and and listening to what you're saying and 160 miles, a trail, um, It sounds like something else I have to add to my to-do list uh, next time we come out there. Now, you know, we're talking about how diverse the park is, um, topography, um, geologically, meteorologically. Um, Recently, there was an incident where uh, a couple of visitors got in trouble on Mauna Loa. Um, What can you tell us about that? Was that a rare incident, or do you see hikers frequently? getting in trouble when they go up Mauna Loa?
2: It's actually pretty rare. We do here in, in this park what we call uh, Preventative Search and Rescue, our, our PSAR program. Sure. Uh, which here in this park, right, and entails uh, having that conversation face to face, picking up your permit, going over water levels, and answering any questions, um, in my opinion, goes a very long way to a successful backcountry trip. Um, in, in this case, uh, we actually had closed down the mountain, which isn't something a lot of national parks do. But here, uh, due to the exposure at the summit, it's, it's mainly winds um, that will get us to close down the, the mountain. We use a, a matrix, and if we, heard, if we reach a certain score based on the weather, um, we'll shut down access. Um, and for that last hour, we actually closed it down. Um, I don't remember specifically what the gusts were, but I believe they were somewhere around 90 miles an hour. Hard enough to walk. Uh, let alone um, try to navigate in any sort of weather, um, and definitely not something that we could perform a rescue in.
1: So, how did these two people get in trouble? And actually, I guess there were there were four to start with.
2: Yeah, I think like a lot of rescues, um, you know, a series of unfortunate events um, led to the separation of the group. Um, poor decision making, poor planning. Um, I think one of the the key factors there is is that we closed down the mountain, notified them. Um, but they decided to go anyways. Um, when I got the call um that they were in distress, um, we had to make a decision whether or not to respond. Um, speaking with the pilot, looking at the weather observations that we could make from from the office, um, we decided to go and, and to see. Um, and it was it was very windy.
1: Yeah, I guess um as I understand, you flew up there and you couldn't land the helicopter i believe but you were able to get off and and or somehow give the two hikers some some emergency gear yeah so the pilot we work with um
2: he's amazing uh i i trust him a lot and he's got a lot of experience um, and when you get up there you can feel the winds in the helicopter we fly around a little uh, md 500 a uh, pretty small helicopter with a, a very low carrying capacity at that elevation um we kind of run on the on the margins um, when we're doing that rescue on the on the mountain, um, and whether or not we could actually put the helicopter down um, was a pilot's decision. Um, fortunately, we found there was in a little depression and we were able to, to get the helicopter on the ground, um, get out of the helicopter and, and speak with actually both groups. And what we ended up doing was providing food um, in the form of MREs, um, an in device so they could communicate, um, and some water. and Giving them the instructions to actually turn around, and hike back down the hill to the cabin um, that was just down the hill, maybe about four miles away, um, and then to let us know if they needed anything. And about 6 p.m. that night, I, I, the inreach became in, uh, became handy as they let me know that they had lost the trail um, and that they needed actually to be rescued. Unfortunately, we can't fly at night, and so we we came back the next morning to pick them up and, and get them out of there. So.
1: Yeah. Was it just high winds or or did you have uh, dropping temperatures and snow?
2: It's always pretty close Um, up at that elevation. There was snow on the ground from a previous storm. Um, But at that point, it was actually pretty good condition. We were in the lull of two cold fronts that were coming through. And so if it happened maybe a day earlier or a day after, um, I don't know if we'd be able to get up there. Um, But just so happened that at that time, we were able to get up
1: there and and grab them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is my memory serving me right in that? one of the reasons they got in trouble was they didn't check in with the backcountry office to pick up a permit. And if they had, they would have been told that it was closed. Yeah, so this is one
2: of our um, growing pains uh, with our new uh, permitting system. Um, But we have a reservation system now, like a lot of parks are using, uh, utilizing rec.gov. In one aspect, it allows us to manage the issuance of reservations um, in a much more effective manner. But one of the requirements is that it, your reservation on rec.gov is, is just that. It's just a reservation, and the actual permit needs to get picked up in person, which allows us to have that conversation, that preventive search and rescue, um, which I believe is, is really important um, to having a successful trip, not just in our park, but really any park across the country.
1: Now, two helicopter flights, that had to be pretty costly. Yeah, sure, it, it, it can be. How much an hour does it cost to run a helicopter?
2: Uh, As a current contractor, um, I believe it's somewhere around $1,100. I think the total SAR was about $2,500, not including our time. And who pays for that? Uh, The National Park Service does. Um, This is a question that I I get often. Um, I know some states and jurisdictions do charge um, for the rescues, um, but the National Park Service stands or at least I can speak to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park Service, is that we don't want the trepidations about paying for rescue to be a barrier for calling. And so we want people to call us if they need it. We build into our budgets the rescues. Um, And something that the National Park Service has as well is what we call a major SAR account, meaning that if the search and rescue costs for a particular park for a particular incident reaches a certain threshold, we can request additional funds from a larger nationwide account that um, allows us to be able to provide the service uh, without it affecting our budget in a detrimental way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's the, the search and rescue where where somebody falls down and twists an ankle or, or breaks a leg. Um, or their, their boat capsizes, um, or they get bit by a snake, for instance. And then there are those SARs that are created by stupidity or ignorance. And I believe the Park Service can determine whether it was stupidity or ignorance that led to the predicament. And in that case, they can bill the individuals. Is that correct?
2: Um, I'm not particularly sure for the park service at large or how each individual parks operate, um, but there is a method for cost recovery if that park or the service deems that appropriate. Um, I know some jurisdictions, not necessarily federal or the National Park Service, um, let's say, for example, if the mountain is closed um, and people decide to go anyways, um, then they are going to be held uh, accountable for those costs. Uh, We don't do that here at Hawaii Volcanoes. Um, it's not an issue that we run into frequently to the point where we have to address it. Um, and again, my main concern is doing the rescue. I, I don't mind doing the rescue. As a relatively new father, I have a little bit more caution now when jumping in a helicopter and going off of the side of cliffs. Um, but if you need help, we'll provide that help. It's what's got me into the service. It what motivates me to continue doing what I'm doing. And I don't want the factor of worrying about paying for it um, be an issue. Um, same thing with a lot of, uh, eh, I don't want to go into ambulances, but. Oh, <laughs>
1: well, don't step now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, I might ask you this already. And if I did, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Is, is there one particular part of the park where, where people run into the most problem issues? Is it overestimating their their ability to hike to Mauna Loa or to to go into the backcountry and dealing with water issues or stumbling across the lava beds? I think it all kind of boils back down towards knowing your
2: your limits and being prepared. I think you hit it on the head when you said knowing their expectations. Um, a lot of parks run into that, um, especially parks kind of like ours where you. Going into craters um, where it's that upside down mountain, we're going down. Not so bad, uh, but eventually you got to come back out. I know right. Grand Canyon deals with this all the time. Uh, when I was working out of Crater Lake, Cleetwood um, Cove, you know, every day we're getting a call to help somebody come out. Um, we do that here, and it's not necessarily the terrain or the trail. It's just knowing your limits um, right. and not getting that tunnel vision of hey, I, I need to do this.
1: I'm only here once. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I I try and ignore my chronological age and, you know, my brain thinks I'm still 18, but my body reminds me often that uh, I'm not. And, and so, you know, you mentioned being a, a new father or a father and it kind of tempers your enthusiasm or your, your um, desire to go out and do everything and be everything. And I know exactly what you're saying in, in that. Do you find that because of the, the diversity of the park that you cover and the diversity of the incidents that you you run into, that there's a lot of interest in being an LE at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park? Ooh, law enforcement is, is its own thing. Um,
2: I never thought I would move into law enforcement um, until I was an intern here. Um, I love backpacking. I uh, love camping. I love getting in the water, Um, and as an intern here, I did a lot of that. At some point, I needed to make a decision of of a career. Uh, Before I was a law enforcement officer, I was in wildland fire, and I I love that. I still love that to this day. It's a lot of excitement and hard work um, and camaraderie um, and adrenaline. Um, But coming home, for me, it was law enforcement. Um, There are not many uh, Native Hawaiians uh, in law enforcement and National Park Service. Um, and something that I've been focusing on, and there are more now. Uh, We make an effort to recruit locally as best as we can to provide that opportunity. Um, I'm finding a lot of the youth here in Hawaii, like myself, are not aware of a career in the National Park Service. Uh, But here in this park, law enforcement and search and rescue go hand in hand. We're big enough to need a full-on search and rescue team but not so large that we have uh individuals specifically assigned to search and rescue and search and rescue alone um hmm. so here in the park we do a little bit of everything um and that's what keeps me going uh i like helping people i like performing rescues um but if you need to go to jail uh i can do that
1: too. <laughs> you know you're you're mentioning earlier what you you keep in your sar bag and it's just amazing from from uh... Uh, a life ring that you can use on the coastline to, to snowshoes that you might have to use at Mauna Loa. So uh, the LE at, at Hawaii Volcanoes might have to be uh, more diverse with their skills and their capabilities than, say, uh, a ranger at, at uh, Shenandoah.
2: Yeah, we definitely... Uh, my old my old chief used to tell me, jack of all trades, masters of none. Yeah. Um, and that is a challenge, right, to, to stay current, to stay qualified, to be capable and all these different aspects. And it's something that we deal with constantly. Um, I don't know what the solution is other than, you know, to, to, to keep up with with what we're doing. We try to keep our rescue simple. Um, our technical ro- program is a relatively simple one um, where our rescues are. So we train to to uh, one thing and one thing only, which is a a, a tandem uh MPD system, which basically boils down to, I teach one thing and I I teach that to everybody. One of the things we we deal with here, uh, like a lot of national parks are, are turnovers um, and having to retrain everybody constantly is a challenge. And so by recruiting locally, we tend to have longevity a little bit more and, and our rangers, which helps with a lot of those things.
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Never were to thought there was a lot of turnover there um i wonder if it's that way across the the park system yeah
2: Yeah, least um just rangers in general um for me this is home and that's my advice to a lot of the new rangers is to find um a park Um, a lot of people that move into the park service usually have that park that that they grew up with or that inspires them Um, and if you can find a way um, to get back there it's great um, we we'll tend to focus on our jobs a lot, but what I like to tell my employees is, is outside of work is, is just as important, if not more so. And so if you can have that support structure of family um, and relatives to allow me to drop what I'm doing. Um, somebody watch my daughter while I form a rescue. That's um, critical. And it's kind of hard to do in the National Park Service. Here in Hawaii Volcanoes, we're fortunate that we do have these communities nearby where you can settle down. Um, And I think that's a big boon here at this park that I have that maybe some of my peers um,
1: find challenging. Yeah, interesting. That's Ranger Nainoa Kai'ana Aina, uh, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, a law enforcement ranger there, shedding some light on some of the interesting aspects of uh, a visit to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park and how not to get in trouble. Ranger, it's been a pleasure today. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I know it's valuable time because of uh, visitation season is, is growing, right?
2: Yep, definitely. Um, and it is a cruise ship day. And so we're busy. <laughs> Where do the cruise ships come in? Kauna? Uh Hilo,
1: Hilo, Hawaii. Really? And they get on a bus and they all come up here
2: and they're yeah. all on the same schedule.
1: I must have missed the, the marina at Hilo when we were out there. I know they've got the, the same problem out at um, Acadia National Park with the cruise ships coming into Bar Harbor. And there's been a, a fight over how many cruise ships we're going to allow and, and how many thousands of cruise ship passengers we're going to allow to be um, shuttled up to the top of Cadillac Mountain. Um, oh, I would love that. Yeah, I was just there. I guess it's been about a year
2: now. Love that park. Beautiful place. I've got a buddy that works there. Um and I could see how that can be an issue, especially during the busy season.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's an issue there because um, I'm guessing they're all going up to see Kilauea and then going back down to their boat, right? Their ship. Yeah, and a lot
2: of times it's, it's parking, uh, big buses, getting everybody where they need to be. Um, if there's you know emergencies that need to uh, maybe take them to the hospital, there's some coordination with the cruise ships that, that needs to be done. Um, we work well with some of our nonprofits here in Hawaii to help facilitate that visitation. Um, But if they're on a cruise ship, you can look at the cruise ship schedule and you can anticipate what your day is going to look like
1: and try to get ahead of it. Well, Ranger, thank you so much for those insights. It's incredible. Hopefully the coming months will be peaceful and uneventful for you. Thank you for that. I hope so, too. That's our show for this week. We hope you found it interesting. We hope it encourages you to visit Hawaii Volcanoes National Park and spend at least a week exploring its landscape and learning its history and culture. Next week, we're sitting down with two National Park Guidebook authors, Becky Lomax and Michael Oswald, to discuss what to expect in the National Park System this summer and hopefully get them to reveal some of their secret places in the parks. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the
0: parks. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.